0: A lot of preachers like to tell the story of Bob Munford's dream. Bob Munford was a uh, popular preacher during the 1970s, 1980s, into the 1990s. And he was known for telling a story about a particular dream he had one night. It was a dream that he felt was given to him from God. And we know from the scriptures that God can speak to us through our dreams. And in that particular dream, Bob Mumford said that he was led into a room where he saw his Bible. But when he looked at his Bible, all of the pages were of different sizes. Some of the pages were very, very large, but some of the pages were very, very small. And Bob Mumford wondered what the message was. But Bob Mumford said that God spoke to him and said, Bob, preach my whole word, not just your favorite parts. We ought to offer the whole Bible, the whole gospel, to the whole world, not just our favorite parts of the Christian faith. And I know that we all have a tendency to do that. Some people, for instance, would love to preach most of their life from Matthew 25 that teaches us through the words of Jesus that just as we love the least of these, our brothers and sisters, we love Jesus. And perhaps they who love that passage will never preach from John chapter 3 where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. All of us would love to just hang out With the 23rd Psalm, the Shepherd psalm, that declares the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. We should notice that right before Psalm 23 comes, Psalm 22, that begins, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? We need to preach the whole Bible, the whole gospel for the whole world. And that includes some text from the Bible, and that includes some doctrines from the Christian faith that perhaps we, we find a little distasteful, perhaps particularly in this modern era. And we have that kind of topic before us today. It's the topic of judgment. But there it is in the Bible, there it is in Christian faith, and there it is in our creed. From thence he shall come. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. From there heaven he, Jesus, shall come and he will judge the living and the dead. There it is, right in the center of our creed. It's one of those core convictions of historic Christianity that has circled this globe for the last 2,000 years Notice the creed says, from thence he shall come. From there, from heaven, he shall come. It's there at the center of our faith that one day, one day, Jesus will return physically and personally to this earth. One day, Jesus will come to finish, to consummate his work of deliverance and redemption here in this world. Titus 2-3 2-3 in the New Testament says this is our blessed hope, that one day Jesus will return. We have an interesting way, a powerful way of looking at church history, or looking at human history now that we've made our way years ago through World War II. Thanks to Oscar Coleman, a famous New Testament scholar, we have a marvelous illustration for how we view human history and we view human history in a distinctively Christian way but we have a wonderful illustration from World War II and it comes from the D-Day invasion. Operation Overlord there when the allied forces landed on the coast of Normandy. And for all intents and purpose that victory there along the coast of Normandy in France really did spell the end of World War II, but that was June of 1944. It took until April of 1945 for the Allied forces to make their way to Berlin and to take Berlin. So D-Day there in June 1944, VE Day, Victory in Europe Day in April of 1945 a marvelous illustration of the way we believe human history is working out Jesus's first coming was D-Day for us the enemy was defeated the future was assured there because of the work of Jesus Christ on that hill outside of Jerusalem Calvary that was D-Day the future was assured at that point the defeat of the enemy was a done deal at that point but right now we're in that mopping up exercise as we're making our way to the final consummation. The final consummation has been won, but we still have work to do. As C.S. Lewis says, we are, we are in the process as the church of taking back occupied territory from the enemy. Little by little, we're doing the work of God to extend the kingdom of God and take back occupied territory as we make our way, if you will, to Berlin. But then there will come a day, that day, when Jesus Christ will return, Jesus Christ will finish the operation, and the kingdom will come in completeness here on this earth. We declare every time we celebrate Holy Communion, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. So we reaffirm that every time we recite, prayerfully recite the creed. From thence he shall come. This second coming, and by the way that's not a phrase that occurs in the Bible but it's there all over the place, this second coming or this reappearing of Jesus Christ in human history is taught throughout the Bible. When we look at the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, we see many prophecies related to the coming of Jesus Christ, many prophecies related to the coming of the Messiah. And when we look at all those prophecies in the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, we see some of those prophecies that were definitely fulfilled at the first advent, the first coming of Christ. Micah chapter 5 prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem and Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Isaiah chapter 53 prophesied that the Messiah would suffer would suffer for us on behalf of us. And Jesus in his first advent certainly fulfilled that prophecy. But there are other passages scattered throughout the Old Testament, passages such as the one that you heard Ron read a few moments ago from Zechariah chapter 14. And in that Hebrew prophecy, you heard the words that declare on that day, this day of which we're speaking, on that day his feet, the Messiah's feet, shall stand on the Mount of Olives, and some of you have been with me to the Mount of Olives, shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west." Some of you have stood with me on the Mount of Olives and we have thought and prayed about that day when Messiah would return and stand on the Mount of Olives and bring an end to human history. That is the same same event to which Paul is referring here in 1 Thessalonians when Paul says, For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, with the sound of God's trumpet, of course that would be a shofar, with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive on this day, we who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That caught up in the clouds, that caught up is a Greek word that in the Latin Bible becomes rapturo, which in the English becomes rapture. So it's there in the Bible. At some point in history, we will be raptured, which is just caught up in the clouds together together with Jesus. So the rapture, the doctrine of the rapture is just simply we will be gathered to Christ one day. Now there's a lot that we don't understand about the second coming and in the last hundred and seventy or eighty years particularly in England and then more so in the United States there have been some Christians who when they think about the second coming they, th- they think about the second coming in two stages. Jesus comes halfway, raptures the saints, and they make a U-turn and go back to heaven. And then there's seven years of tribulation, and then the end comes. uh, Most of us throughout history have just seen not two stages, but just one great cataclysmic event at the end of history. So when you look at this rapture text, it's not the issue as to whether or not we're gathered to Christ. The issue is which way are we going when we're gathered to Christ? And I think the better scholarship, the consensus scholarship throughout church history has been that the Greek here really wants you to see a picture of the emperor coming to a conquered city and the people of that city going out to receive the emperor, to bring the emperor in so that that emperor can take his proper place on the throne so we're gathered to Christ not I think to do a U-turn but to continue escorting King Jesus to his throne on planet earth I believe that's what Paul's talking about here that's the way we've read this for most of church history there's a lot we don't understand about this physical personal return of Christ but it's at the center of our Faith. There's a lot that we don't understand, but usually at some point I I just quote Tony Campolo, that famous preacher of the modern era. I quote Tony Campolo who frequently would say regarding the second coming, I am on the welcoming committee, not on the planning committee. But we know enough. We know enough from the scriptures about how God in Christ will consummate the age, how God in Christ will bring an end to human history. We know enough to be able to live faithful, obedient lives in this world for the short time we have in this world. I had a first yesterday, uh, uh, and those are rare after 38 years of ministry, but I had a first yesterday yesterday I presided over and was um, the preacher for my first double funeral. Bill and Sue died within fairly close proximity to each other, time-wise. And the family had the service for both of them yesterday. And it was such a joy to preach there at that double funeral for Bill and Sue. And you would think that that would be a tremendously sad... Event, but it really wasn't because if you knew Bill and Sue you would know that this we could hardly even make this a sad event I've known Bill and Sue for 30 years Bill and Sue were both getting close to 90 they had a wonderful marriage of, of 70 years they had created and nurtured an amazing family An amazing family down there in the Charlotte area. So we couldn't help but rejoice and celebrate that these two now had entered into their final reward, their final rest. And we were actually, I suspect most of us, even a little bit grateful that Sue didn't have to live very long after Bill passed away. We don't know everything about the second coming. We don't know everything about the judgment. We don't know everything that we want to know, even about death itself. But we know enough from the scriptures to live a faithful, obedient life. For their almost 90 years, Bill and Sue were faithful Christians. They knew that the church was Jesus' idea. They knew that the church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ in the world, doing the work of Christ in the world. So for all of their life, they faithfully served Jesus Christ as disciples of Jesus Christ in this world. We don't know everything we would like to know. Now some people act like they know a whole lot more than the rest of us. But we don't know everything that we would like to know about the return of Christ. We know it's central to our faith, and we profess it every time we recite prayerfully the Creed. We know that from thence he will come. What will he do when he comes? Well, we looked at Scripture, and almost 2,000 years ago, we summarized that also. From thence he will come to judge to judge the quick or the living and the dead. This is the part of the Christian faith that makes moderns very, very uncomfortable. Probably some of us have been squirming in our seats since I said in the welcome that we're looking at the topic of judgment. Because here in the West, we we hate the topic of judgment because we think all opinions are created equal we think as long as you're sincere that's all that's important we would dare never say that someone could be sincerely wrong we think truth is just what someone determines truth to be so therefore it makes it very difficult for us to talk about the judgment but the Apostle Paul said very clearly in Romans 14, and in different ways and other places, that we will all stand before, all will stand before the judgment seat of God. Now one thing you need to understand is this, because this is part of our core conviction too. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you have given your life to Christ, you've invited to Christ, you've invited Christ to come in and rule and reign in your heart, if Through faith, you have accepted the gift of God's grace in Christ, then eternity is yours. The gift of eternity is yours. So, for people in Christ, what is the judgment about? We know that the judgment will determine those in Christ and those not in Christ. We know that the judgment will separate, as Jesus says, the sheep from the goats. But what does the judgment mean for the sheep, for those who are in Christ? The judgment means, I believe, that when our life passes before us in the glorious presence of God, we will have to answer for what we did with our life here in this world. We will have to answer for the salvation that is given to us in Jesus Christ. We will have to answer for the deliverance that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. We'll have to answer for how we allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives while we're here in this world. And the pain, the pain of judgment for us will be we will acknowledge at that point we could have done more we could have been more faithful we could have been more obedient we could have been better followers disciples of Jesus Christ but the New Testament is clear we will all stand before the judgment seat of God we are saved by grace but that doesn't mean that we won't be judged at some point the New Testament is clear on that we will have to answer for what we have done with our life here. Jesus said a lot in the Gospels. Some of the most uncomfortable things I think Jesus said in the Gospels has to do with this judgment. I I really wish Jesus had not said what Jesus said that's recorded in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, and I believe this references the judgment, Jesus said, there is nothing there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops. Hmm. Our life will be played out before us and I think where we will feel the pang of judgment is we realize we could have done more, we could have done better I think we'll have to go through that before we hear well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master these words make all of us uncomfortable, they bring both some dread and you heard that marvelously proclaimed a few moments ago as Michael sang that powerful, startling piece from Farae's Requiem. We have some dread as we face this day, but you notice how Paul ended his text, therefore encourage one another with these words. So yes, we have some dread facing this day and it will come far quicker and sooner than any of us can imagine. We have some dread but that dread should be overcome and overwhelmed by the joy of knowing that at the end we will be His, at the end we will be His eternally, at the end we will be completely and perfectly sanctified for those of you that endured four classes or with me this week in Vacation Bible School you should have grown to love the word sanctified and sanctification at the end we will be completely and perfectly sanctified and we will then be the people finally we will be the people that God created us to be so there's some dread but I find great joy and excitement and anticipation when I think about that day when he will come from heaven to judge the living and the dead, there's two major things that I remember that brings me joy. First is this, because of this core conviction of the Christian faith, that means that I do not have to judge anybody ever. And that brings me a great deal of comfort. That's not my task. I'm not capable of the task. So I'm glad that I do not have to judge anybody ever. Now don't misunderstand me. We have to judge human activity. We have to judge human behavior in the abstract. I mean, we have to just say that with everything in our being, something is wrong about deciding to live as a cannibalistic Nazi. We have to be able to say there's some things right, some things wrong, some things good, some things bad. And we can do that in the abstract as we evaluate life, evaluate human life, evaluate human existence. But even though we have to, there's no way around it, we have to deal and judge human behavior and attitude in the abstract We should never pick out individuals to judge because it's not our task. We can't see their heart. You know, by the time time I worry about Jeff every day, by the time I judge Jeff every day, it's time to go home and go to bed. I don't have time to do that for any of you people. That's between you and God. So in some ways we judge, in some ways we don't judge. In some ways we're glad that the ultimate judgment is not ours. We avoid judging individuals because we don't know their heart. We never know their whole story. So we just can talk about human behavior. We, we can not talk about right and wrong, good and bad. But I'm so glad that I never have to judge an individual ever. And of course the last thing is when I think about this doctrine, I'm so filled with joy that I can say, along with my English, my British friends, that there will come a time, there will come a time when God will set all things right. He will set all things to rights, as they say in England. He will put everything in its proper place would you pray with me God we pray that we will allow your word to both challenge and comfort us we pray God that we will be prepared for tomorrow because we have given our lives to Jesus Christ We pray that we'll be able to find that abundant life in this world and in the world to come because we are allowing Jesus to rule and reign in our hearts, in our lives. God, if there's anyone here in this place today that's never invited you into their lives as king, may this be the day that they answer your call And respond to your voice. May they open up their heart. And allow Jesus to rule and reign there. As Lord. Amen.